Welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love. The show and the website, amberunvest.com, are supported by Patreon supporters. So you can go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to join up. And with me today for the first time, and I can't believe it's taken me this many years. Um, so I'm finally so thrilled to have Laura K. Curtis on the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me. So um, I met Laura in like a 10 second or 30 second passing through BoucherCon one year, the only time I had ever been there. And it was just at an after party that I kind of crashed. Um, <laughs> so I was hanging out with Tom Fluck and Eliza Drew and Josh Stallings. And I remembered, you know, running into all of these wonderful people that I connected with then through uh, Twitter. And, uh, you know, so I've stayed in touch with with Laura that way. And now you have a brand new book coming out that we're going to get to to talk about. I do. So, yeah, it is. It is so exciting. You're, you know, everything's about ready to drop and it's your spooky season, which is ideal for you. So um, that should be good. Um, so one of the first things, of course, that I did want to want to talk about, as I mentioned, was uh, life with dogs, because you have these beautiful, they look like very, um, I don't know, very pedigree kind of pooches. <laughs> and they, they um, you know, they look like a lot of work. They're, they're, they're not. Like, they're they're not? really, I mean, well, aside from the, the wilding period and one of them, she, our younger one is only six months. So she's still wilding. She's nuts. I mean, they're Irish terriers, which you don't see a lot of in the States um, to the extent where my, my older one who was 14 my husband actually got him when he when my husband was on a business trip to dublin um wow and he brought him home with him because we had been looking for one in the states and hadn't found one so that's pretty wild did you have to go through the quarantine back then no they don't do that anymore uh as long as the dogs are from certain places um the only thing we had to do there is no rabies in ireland so he didn't have a rabies shot. So before my husband got him, he had to to get a rabies shot over there before he could bring him into the country here. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, you know, they're they're uh, it, it's an island, so as long yeah, as they, those stuffs not getting into it, on they are good. <laughs> right, right. As long as nothing flies there. That's yeah. right. Um. Yeah, so how's the the new one adjusting? Um, she's nuts. Uh, her name okay. is Rosie and she's uh she's she's very smart, so that's good. She's also the most sort of malleable female Irish I've ever had. Um I my first one was Kate. I got her when she was as a rescue when she was two and a half. And she was not malleable at all. She just did what she wanted. And um, we had to sort of come to agreements on things. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was teaching her to sit, she would sit with her butt an inch and a half off the ground so that uh, like, kind of knew, so that I knew that she knew what I wanted, but that she wasn't going to do it. <laughs> so that's kind of their usual personality and the females are always bossy bossy and they're they tend to be same-sex aggressive which is why you can't have two females or two males um 
So that's why it's hard to find one in the States because, you know, before we got Conan, who's our 14 year old boy, we had a line on the litter, but we already had Kate and the litter was all female. So that didn't work for us. So. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I know that as we approach Thanksgiving, um, everybody gets excited for the Thanksgiving Day dog show. Yes. And um, like, I didn't even realize that that was a thing. I remember, you know, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and I was like, wait, they really do this every year? And it was, you know, people on Twitter were like nuts. They're like, yes, every year. So I'm like, you know, hoping that every every Thanksgiving that comes around, I'm like, oh, guys, please don't put on freaking football. Please, I just let's put the dog show the on. Puppy Bowl. We, we good- the puppy Bowl comes on on, on yeah. Super on Yeah. Time yeah, the, the, yeah. The, yeah, that's true. The Puppy Bowl is great. Um, and they, they did a kitten bowl one. Yes. A couple yes. years too, which is there's good. Kitten using time, I think, and there's a kitten. Yeah. I, I, I love all that. I, I'm not a football fan. So anytime you can replace football with dogs, whether it's a dog show or the puppy bowl or, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah. Have you, so have you ever shown your dogs? No, I have not. My, the one that I rescued was bred for show. Um, and her original owner had gotten sick, so he could not show her. Um, but she had a kennel name and everything, you know, she, she was, she was sort of ready to go. But in the two years that he had not been able to show her, she had, they're supposed to be about 30 pounds. Um, and she was 40 and that's a lot of extra weight to be carrying. Yeah. Um, and then but she always knew she was bred for show. So she like walked around with her <laughs> show kind of walk and, and had a, a great sense of her own self-worth. <laughs> what a darling. Um, yeah. So I've, yeah, I know I've never had a dog. I mean, I've gotten to, to babysit dogs and that's mm-hmm. about it. Um, but it's I, I don't know what being a writer with dogs is like versus being a writer with cats because it does seem um, that more writers have cats, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, like with the dogs, unless they're of a certain size, I can't imagine that they're trying to like, you know, lay on your keyboard or eat your laptop, you know, or anything like that. Well, um, I, I wouldn't be so sure about that, because um, if you ask Isabel Carr, She'll uh-huh. tell you that her mastiff, who weighs two hundred and twenty pounds, thinks he's yeah, a that's lap a giant dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> that is a giant dog. Yeah. And he certainly thinks he's a lap dog. And if you have a laptop computer, we'll be trying to to eat that. So, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know what it is with the cats that I seem to get, but they seem to be very aware of when I'm trying to do something, um, even just like from bed. Like I might yeah. be typing notes or reading a book on on it's because you're not paying attention to them yeah and (laughs) they like to um bite and eat my devices and stuff and it's you know and yet uh, right now like he's gus is napping which is great because he did his insanity before we started recording which was really good and he was actually playing nicely with Oliver, as opposed to earlier this morning, where there was like a horrible war going on with hissing and whatnot. But they spent like a good 15 minutes running around like lunatics. 
and now yeah. he's tired. That's yeah. that's what that's what Rosie does that we call wilding. She just kind of takes off. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. She just runs. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it, yeah, I love watching. Um, who was I, I? I don't know. Maybe I was just mentioning it on Twitter. Um, I've started following a couple of wolfhounds on mm -hmm. Instagram, and wolfhounds and deerhounds, and they are just a joy to watch they because are. they you know these are, these are people they live out in like the UK or Canada or wherever and they're just they have all this space mm -hmm. which is amazing and the dogs just like run in circles like they are just living the best life ever. that's right and it just looks remarkable I love that um so I don't know so at least if you're writing, do you write at home or do you, are you one of those cafe library people? <laughs> um, uh, some of both. Uh, I tend to write, I write a lot longhand and that I do elsewhere and then I bring it home and put it in the computer um, and that I do here. So, um, so it's a combination of things for me. Okay. And do you have a, a very specific routine or are your days kind of yours and you can do what you like? Oh, I, I wish I had a very specific routine. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I have a, a day job where I'm a personal assistant and that is great because it's flexible and I don't have to go into an office every day or anything, but it also means that it's flexible. And so... Um, I might be needed on in the office Tuesday and Wednesday of this week and then Monday and Thursday of next week. And then, you know, so there's, yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to what my schedule looks like. Oh, so you're, yeah. So you're at someone else's discretion there. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stinks. Yeah. Well, but it's, I mean, like I said, it's good because it does mean that if something comes up, I can usually manage my schedule around it. So, um, I can, I can do it. And a, a lot of what I do, I can do from home because it's just paying bills and doing all that stuff for him. So. Well, that's good. That's good. And when it comes to something like writing deadlines, do you give yourself the writing deadlines or are are you under um you know like a, a publisher with specific well my first my first four books were with penguin and with them you know the first one you submit so that's not under a deadline um because you've already written it when you submit it and then i had a deadline for the next for each of the next three um, and that was sort of when I discovered that maybe that wasn't ideal for me. Um, I, I don't mind having the deadline. In fact, I need a deadline. When I see the scope of what I'm writing, I tend to hire an editor and then that gives me the deadline that I have to make. So, um, but because I'm not good at setting them for myself. I just won't finish. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. But um, publishers' deadlines, in it depends on the genre. 
publisher's deadlines, I was writing um, romantic suspense, and those tend to be very short. That was four books in two and a half years. And wow. while that's not a short time for some people, that's a short time for me. So um, it was really three books because the first one was, was already written. So it was three books in two and a half years. Um, but it still means that you're, you're doing that while you're pub while you're publicizing the next one, the, the last ones, and then trying to publicize the next one and then still writing and doing all this other stuff while you have a day job. So it was, um, what I've sort of discovered about myself is that, that my brain needs time to generate uh, plots and characters and things like that. And I think that's not, it's not as important necessarily in, in certain, like in series, for example, you have a lot of your characters already set, you know who they are, you know who they, so you're really basically dealing with plot and setting. Right. And I'm not, but I'm not really particularly good at series. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I seem to be I seem to be not good at a lot of the things that make for a a uh, a high selling career. Um, I don't like to stick to one genre. I don't like to write in long series. Um, all the things that they tell you are are really good for sales. <laughs> Yeah. And, but you know, that's good to know because nobody really talks too much about sales unless you're a bestseller. So mm -hmm. it's, I think it is important that we, that we look at that information and, um, I can't imagine balancing such a, a schedule. I've slowed down so much just with some part-time work and it's like, wow, I miss writing so much. Um, but you know, like you're, you were, um, mentioning the marketing and the publicity and all that non-writing right. stuff that comes with being a writer. Um, so, at the, you know, I don't know about the, the romance stuff, but we're going to be talking about A Darker Shade, mm -hmm. which is the, the one that's coming up this year. And um, you went through a big character development process with that, it seems because you even brought in sensitivity reader and um, I don't know what your editing process was like at that point. Oh, my editing process was long and, and complicated. <laughs> um, but yes, it's it, that book. Um, yes. There was a lot of kind of character, it's an, it's an interesting book um, from my perspective because some of the things are the the protagonist, the heroine is, um, as you said, um, I needed to get a sensitivity reader because she she is of Romani heritage, but on one side of her family, she's a first generation American, um, and on the other side, she's multiple generations American. And so in some ways her feelings were, 
I didn't have to develop particularly because I didn't have to research or anything because that's, that's my family. My father was German. Um, so I'm first generation American on one side and multiple generations on the other side. Um, so the, the kind of push and pull between old country and America, that's familiar to me, but the specifics of her heritage, those were not familiar to me at all. Okay. Um, it's, it's one of the, the facets that really come into play with Molly's character and her interactions with all the, you know, the people in the book, it's kind of like a, what they call, you know, like a bottle story where everything's in, in one place, but um, I, at least they have this giant house, which has a lot of space in it and then a lot of land around it. So it's not too confining, but at the same time, it is like all this one setting um, and it's up in Maine so mm -hmm. I didn't know if you had any connections to Maine either. I've been there yeah. several times. Um, okay. I, um, it's it's not because they because the only place they actually she actually goes in Maine is Portland. That wasn't hard, um, aside from the house, obviously. Uh, and I I am one of those people who absolutely cannot start a, writing a book without house plans. So I have to find house plans for the house where it takes place. So do you just, just like sketch them out or do you like look up things? I, I look up a lot of house plans and then I just kind of add or subtract from them. So I, I used to love doing that as a kid. My, my grandfather always had grid paper because uh -huh. he was an engineer. So there was always grid paper around and I used to just love drawing out like, you know, house plans i don't know why i didn't know what i was doing uh, you know i was a child but still right. it was like that was my idea of fun <laughs> um, but i you know i love that you do that do you utilize anything like pinterest because that's what i do i sort oh, of yeah. make, like you know mood boards and stuff oh yeah all the time i use pinterest a lot um i have i i have private boards when i'm doing research that um for various things, whether it's clothes or whether not so much for this book, but, um, you know, houses, yes, all that stuff, it all, it all gets dumped into Pinterest. And then some of it gets printed out so that I can stick it in notebooks. Okay. And, um, so when it came to, uh, developing Molly's character and, the like you said this the when the romani parts of her come out how did you actually find a sensitivity reader i was lucky because i know one on twitter oh okay <laughs> um i you know i i there are not that many people to find for that particular that particular heritage um right. and i i knew i knew a girl when i was in college but I'm old and that was a long time ago and I don't have any communication with her any anymore. So when I started writing, I was sort of using her as my, as my template and the mm -hmm. things that I knew from college. Um, and then 
I figured I would get stuff wrong, and of course I did. <laughs> well, that's okay. I that's mean, why I you get sensitivity readers. Yes, and uh, you know, and things can still slip by because yeah. at that point, then you go back and you edit again, and you know, depending on what you can afford, like how many times can you go back and ask the yeah. person to to read through the stuff? So, um, so stuff still gets through. And like you said, I really appreciated that. I think it was either at the beginning or the end of the book. You you know, you talked about your sensitivity reader. And you said, and I'm not going to reveal their identity. Yeah. Don't even ask. <laughs> Yeah. No, because it's terrible. It's it's like asking for um, abuse on Twitter or something. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I I loved that, and it and she she did feel like such a full character, and I really have to say that about everyone. Like Liza is becomes kind of like her ward, if mm -hmm. you will. Molly's um, a live-in tutor slash nanny, and. Um, like at first I, and I even said this, I did a full review for those of you curious. I did a full review of the book um, with the, um, the arc from net galley. So obviously with an arc, things could still change, but, um, but I Mostly doubt typos, and, honestly. It's, yeah. I mean, typos, I was yeah. just like, whatever, you can still figure out what's going on. Um, but I loved that, that there was this progression with Liza and, um, and it made like it made sense with her it wasn't like Molly was this you know I, I don't want to say catalyst but um, but she was so important to to Liza and Liza's like she's the only person who believes me mm -hmm. like and that's what it came down to it's like here's a teenage girl and and that was one of the things that struck me so much was I was like yeah nobody believes teenage girls nobody believes full-grown women like, <laughs> and so here was this you know she finally had this relationship with uh, you know this stranger comes to live with them and it's like oh, and she believed me immediately so I I thought that was brilliant I didn't know if you were reflecting upon modern society and what goes on with women and or anything like that but I, that's what I took from their relationship I don't think I was I mean you know certainly um I, I think teens and tweens um frequently hold their misery inside so um I it, and and they're afraid of upsetting the apple cart in many ways in that um, so many of them don't speak out. I wasn't specifically thinking of um, today's society, although that's obviously true and in certainly informed, um, informed the way I looked at the world growing up and the way I still look at the world in many ways with that judgment of, well, how can I put this so that it's the most palatable to uh, the primarily male audience that I'm dealing with? <laughs> um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, not, not in books, obviously, but in, in daily life, because that's mostly what I deal with. Oh, okay. So, um, but I think that that's, so so yes, do I, do I think that that's in the back of my head a lot? 
absolutely. Do I think that I specifically set out to make that a theme? I did not. But if that's what you take from it, then that's, you know, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like, you know, every, you know, again, and it's, it's sort of that, it's called the Mary Sue if you're the writer, but I felt like, you know, the Mary Sue as the reader where every one of these characters, even their very unlikable qualities, I was relating to, you know, it's like the, the dad, Nathaniel is, you know, he can be very warm, but at the same time, he's like afraid of intimacy and clearly has intimacy issues. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, oh, but he, it makes total sense. And, you know, maybe he's just being a dick right now, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, you know, and then that, you know, the snide sister-in-law, it's like, well, you know, look, you know, she's like she's like oh here comes another stranger into the house who's going to worm her way in and suddenly be family and you know of course she's going to take issue with it she's but um you know but the teenage girls I was just like oh yeah I'm both like both these girls yeah and I think you know the fact is people have even even unpleasant people are often unpleasant for a reason they have fears they have you know, insecurities, they have whatever. So, um, generally I, I, in my actual life, I try to see those things. Um, I can't say I always succeed. Some people I just go, Oh, you're just so unpleasant and there's no reason for it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But books are not real life. So in books, I try to always give them (laughs) reason for that. Yeah, and you don't know what somebody else's baggage is. That's right. You know, that's one thing that uh, that I've come to to understand because I I've had people like that too, you know, and I see them week after week, and it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, what mood is this one going to be in today? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I don't know what they're going through. I have no idea. So I try to, you know, just keep my own reaction in check. Indeed. Um, so, as we so as we are delving into here, a darker shade. Um, it's a ghost story, so I, you know, again, we're going to talk without trying to spoil too much. But um, there, like you said, you've crossed genres. I don't know if if you faced any problems with that. I noticed that you, you know, you do have different names. And some people do that for specific reasons because of genre, but um, I don't, I don't see why anybody would question a writer being able to write, you know, well, this horror, one's, you know horror versus romance. Yeah, this one is still published under Laura K. Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on a historical that I will probably market under a different name. So is sometimes that also spooky or. No, um, I have a, a sort of almost spooky mystery. I mean, it's, it's Gothic. I have a kind of modern Gothic mystery, but it's not a ghost story that we are pitching. Um, you know, that that's out on submission, basically my, my agent has it out. So, um, there's that one and that will probably come out under Laura K. Curtis, but on Twitter I have two names and that's because eventually, um, 
when I get this uh, historical written, it's it's very different. And it's not so much that audiences won't like the same things, because I firmly believe that readers have much more eclectic tastes than publishers give them credit for. Mm-hmm. But publishers have strange ideas about readers. <laughs> okay. Well, they're, yeah. Cause they're looking at things from probably a bank account point of view. Well, they, they are. And I, and I understand that. Um, but the, they also look at things, you know, the, they like to segment the reader population more than I think the reader population needs to be segmented. So since that one will likely turn out to be women's fiction with genre elements, you know, mystery elements and romance elements, but, but it will probably, it, it would probably be sold as primarily as women's fiction. Um, and it has all this historical stuff. They are, going to be more interested in selling it to a different audience right. and okay it's so you know for them it for that it's it's it really is strictly and it's also a, a packaging thing because when you submit to publishers one of the things that i found is that they tend to they tend to want to put you into a certain spot so that um so that they they look at something with an with a memory of what you've written before so one of the one of the things i heard from when this book went out on submission was well the the romance doesn't feel fully developed and i was like well it's not a romance it's a gothic there's a huge difference and my it was very frustrating to me it was very frustrating to my agent who had tried to sell the book as a gothic she was like no it it's not a romance it's a gothic but because my reputation to that point had all been in romance that's what they expected to see when they opened the book okay so when you're submitting do they um because i have no experience with this other than trying to get an agent at this point um so when you're submitting, they're not seeing, oh, this is the work of, you know, Laura K. Curtis as somebody else. Well, you they can, would just be you can submit whatever. it either. You can submit it either way. And okay. probably we just. I mean, like if you had a really famous author parent and, you know, it, it you know, you changed your name or whatever because you wanted to try to get through on your own merit, you, you know. I don't know how they hide that information. <laughs> well, it's not, it's it, basically, for example, if, if I were to submit the new book under a different name, um, what my agent would say is this is an author of romance who is writing now in historical fiction without giving my previous name. Um, okay. And so that there, there are no preconceptions so that, yeah. you know, nobody's trying to be, nobody's trying to be, uh, cagey or anything. It's, it's obvious that this, this person 
has written other genres before, but without, without having, without the ability to kind of go to somebody's website or go to whatever and, and look and see exactly what they've written before, it's much harder to get preconceptions about what something is. is. So is there uh, any negative side to that? Like that, that particular brand name, if you will, doesn't have any history behind it. So there's, there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing to look back on and say, okay, yeah, this person's um, got a big audience already. And well, we know what we can tell them. That's, that's short. That is a negative. Um, But on the other hand, um, if once they've once they've expressed an interest in the book in any way, they may ask who is the author before they make a decision. They may ask any of that. All you're trying to do is ask them to read the book without thinking about marketing yet. And honestly, depending on what the the market looks like at that point, they may love it. They may hate it. They may go, this is because as you said, it's a business. They may go, this is not what's selling right now. Or they may go, oh my God, this is exactly what's selling right now, which are really the only two kind of um, concerns that they have. Right. And um, I, I, I hate to be that blunt about it, but that really is what it's about. It does not have to do with um, this is beautifully written prose with uh, extraordinary characterization. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's important, you know, and it's, you know, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, hey, self-publishing is available nowadays. That's right. And, and it's amazing. But, um, but I think that is really important to know, because first of all, going through agents and publishers is going to take so much longer. So if something is hot this year, mm-hmm. and it's going to be 18 months down the road till it comes out, um, you know, is there going to be a big swing in something that, that, you know, the market is looking for? Um, it, it, there could be. Um, I mean, we've been blessed with like, you know, a hundred years of supernatural on TV. So <laughs> <laughs> since the dawn of time, I think right. it feels like, um, so we're, you know, people are pretty, pretty familiar with a certain level of the spooky horror, you know, well, and I think, I mean, I actually think in a lot of ways, the Gothic is, is having a sort of resurgence. Um, like, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm, you know, yes, we are blessed by, by hundreds of years of, of not only new episodes, but repeat episodes of Supernatural. But um, Netflix has brought out a bunch of these things and, you know, like The Haunting of Hill House um, and then, you know, in the movies, we're seeing a lot more kind of gothic horror as opposed to the, as opposed to think gory horror, like. Yes. For saw. a while there, we were really into the, you know, saw and hostile. Yeah. yeah. And, and now we have, I mean, what I consider, I think of Get Out as a truly gothic horror. 
which is why I haven't seen it because, it, you know, people were talking about how scary it was. And I was like, really? I didn't know that was a scary movie. So I'm like, it's, now I'm afraid to watch it. It is scary, but it's not gory. Um, it's it, it's. To me, the, what happens and I, I the gothic is particularly you, you see a lot of female heroines um you feel a pre- female protagonists obviously heroines are female um but the reason is that when you have gothic horror what you have is the protagonist is always living without a safety net um and the, the real horror of it the really scary thing about most gothics is that is that lack of safety that that creeping dread not not that something is necessarily going to pop out from your under your bed and eat you um but that the life that you the you're only living your only life is going to crumble away underneath you yeah i think that was very evident with a darker shade because it, Molly is like, okay, literally everything is riding on this job. And, um, you know, like she are like the money is already spent. If mm-hmm. she, she absolutely cannot bail. And, um, you know, and then there's ghosts and, you know, which scare her enough that she has physical reactions to it. And will do anything to protect Liza. But like you said, it's like she will never abandon ship. <laughs> so right, uh, and know, so the other characters, and they and you point out like how many nannies they've been through at this point. <laughs> like how many, you know? Yeah, is that something that like is quintessential for every protagonist that that they will never give up? Well, I think you know. So for example, with um, with Get Out it's really, really scary, but it's scary in a very human way. I mean, I don't know if you know anything about the the plot of it at all, but it's... No, I don't. Well, it's, you know, um, black guy, white girlfriend, she takes him home with her to her small, very tightly knit, all-white village and he he can't get out and there's that stepford wife feeling there where something is very evidently wrong and he's sure that people are kind of plotting against him and rightly so um and so it's it's horror but it's not Stephen King horror it's gothic horror it's the the creepy horrible um my life could end right here and nobody would ever know Mm -hmm. it's that do you think that um because I'm barely familiar with this also the walking dead would be gothic because it's more about how the humans treat each other than about zombies I I don't watch the gothic the I don't I I don't watch The Walking Dead, which, and I, I used to, I read the comic book for a little while, but not 
much. So okay. I'm, I'm well, yeah. So that's what I. That. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's because that's what I had heard about it. Was that yeah. you know the com- the comic and the show were were much more about the humanity or lack thereof. Um, but what's you know what's cool is that you know we can still use the genre of a gothic horror and it doesn't not everything needs to be victorian (laughs) right exactly exactly now if you you know there's a there's a it's funny because it's almost as if the term makes people think it's victorian and the original gothics were pre-victorian um and there was a victorian revival and then things just seemed to get stuck in that era like people sort of went well if it's gothic this is where it needs to be um but and and then they they it's almost like they felt like they needed a new term for gothics that weren't so i mean that weren't victorian so for example um you have uh there's a a wonderful thriller writer named carol goodman and carol's books really are they're there's like every trope, every theme of Gothic novels is expressed in Carol's books. Um, but they're completely modern. They, they take place in upstate New York. So. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so, but, that so was they a... call them, they call them domestic suspense. So, oh, okay. So because, because they don't want to call them Gothic. They're not in merry old London. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are so many different labels you can slap onto things. And it's interesting because in NetGalley, when, when I send in a review, it asks at the bottom, like, like what keywords would you use (laughs) to describe this book? And I'm like, I'm like, well, shouldn't you already know that by now? (laughs) um but yeah it's like you know is it women's fiction is it mystery is it horror it doesn't you know just because there's a female writer and a female character does that make it women's fiction i don't know right it's 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 kind of crazy because you know that bookstores and libraries need need to place these things somewhere they need a shelf to put them on but I resent the fact that we give up old labels just because they're old when they were perfectly good. And we now have to call something, you know, domestic suspense. Now I heard a, um, I heard an, a review editor uh, from a magazine talk about labeling your books when you send them in for reviews and he's like well sure you if you have a book that could possibly qualify as domestic suspense you send it in as domestic suspense because that sells and we like to review books that sell so wow okay and i was like okay domestic suspense sells well okay yeah and then you know the book jacket can just say something else <laughs> yeah, or the book jacket can say domestic suspense it's just a, but you, you that's that's not really the audience that i'm trying to appeal to but i can understand why some other people who are writing the same things but without the horror elements would would do that you know 
so for me, it's mine is really a sort of traditional ghost story. So I, I can't really play that game, but I understand why people do if that's what's selling. Yeah. Well, to me, and it's like the perfect ghost story because even though thinking of things like, like London back, you know, at the whatever, 17, whatever, um, you know, and how, how dirty from the new industrial boom, everything was, and just the crowds of people and the, the structures and architecture of the buildings. And, and then, when the books that I tend to be drawn to though, like yours, you know, it's this giant house in the middle of nowhere, which is how I felt moving into this house when <laughs> I was 10. Um, and it was, you know, I remember asking one time on Twitter, I'm like, people, what's scarier to you, the city or, or, you know, like rural America or not necessarily America, but right. like, you know, a small town. And everybody else was like small town, way scarier, way scarier. And I'm like, okay. Cause you know, like I have a, a real life physical reaction when I go into cities now and, um, and I feel more of a calm in a, in a small town or in the middle of nowhere. But at the same time, you know, like reading, reading through your book and reading through um, Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, mm -hmm. you know, going through these towns and it's like, do we have a cell phone signal here? It's like, you know, the, even though it's modern, it's like there's still these things like what happens if it snows? They don't, you know, there is no road department to come plow you out. <laughs> you're screwed. And, you know, it's it's stuff that is like you said, it's very real. It exists and it's not, you know, 1760. Um, so it, it's just so strange. Like, what is your personal thing? Like, do you, do you have experience with the being in a big giant house in the middle of nowhere or is it just through exposure and reading of what, you know, I grew up in a big giant house that was not in the middle of nowhere, but it was in a town that was unincorporated. We didn't have addresses. We didn't have, um, mail delivery. Um, and so, yeah, you were very conscious of the fact that, um, that you lived like that, that you, <laughs> it was yeah, a different I way of living. It no, really that's... is. Like, like you said, there were no, we, we did have postal delivery, but it was rural route. Mm -hmm. So it made no sense to anybody else when you had to like, you know, call through, you know, to order something from a catalog or something. Right. And you tried to give them an address and they were like, what? Yeah. RR mean? It's like, yeah, no, it's we not didn't... a railroad. <laughs> if from, we couldn't for packages because you can't get them delivered to a postal service, really anything had to be you you had to dhl was reliable mm -hmm. um they would actually come and there were there were addresses in the village itself but not around the village so when i went to work in um a gift shop i could get packages delivered there um at work but at the house it was the corner of Hedges Lane at Lee Avenue, northeast corner. Nobody delivers to that except DHL. 
Um, and for mail delivery, it was post office box. And if you wanted your mail delivered at home, um, you there was a private mail carrier. Her name was Peggy. She delivered the newspapers too. And you could pay Peggy and she would bring your mail to you. Um, but that's kind of how it was. And it was different. And then, you know, I also have lived in New York City. So New York City is too busy for me. Now I live an hour north of New York City. And it's it's a good distance. It's a good um, happy medium between the two. Right. Um, uh, it's like you can get there, but at the same time you can get out. Right. Exactly. Unless Godzilla strikes or something. Right. And And I, you know, I don't. I'm not a fan of all those people and just kind of being packed in and it's, it's, I prefer to be, you know, where I am now, which is, which is quite, makes me quite happy. Um, although we, we do not have good road clearing. Um, we, have some road clearing (laughs) (laughs) right see these are things other people take for granted right so um although i will say if you live in big cities their snow clearing can be atrocious because of the cars that are parked so that's why you get tickets and and everything all those that's true too yeah so um but yeah i I like it better. I, and there's green places for my dog to run and there's, a, you know, we have a big yard, so that's good. Yeah, it's really, it, it is. Do you guys have actual 911 now? Because that that's like, was new-ish to us. Like, we didn't get real addresses until they finally got actual Yeah, that's what, that's what happened. Like, where I grew up, that's what happened just as we were leaving, which would have been 90, God, when did my parents sell that house? 92 or 90 three um 93 i think they sold that house and it finally got an address because you had to have an address for 911 yeah so that was i mean and then you know yes it was a while ago but still it yeah. was just so funny i mean when we finally made that switch we were like oh my god what does this mean like people can find us now right exactly wait yeah. i have an actual address it's it was so weird switching over because i you know when i was small we lived in more of a city so mm-hmm. it you know we were used to that and you know we had sidewalks and if you mm-hmm. wanted to see trees you went to the park and you know um but it then we you know that was god you know all those years ago 37 years ago then we moved out here and there like this traffic i'm constantly muting my microphone because as my dad loves to say every weekend as we're having coffee he he's just like used to only get five cars a day on this road and and now it's like every two seconds there's another thing going by um but we still don't have sidewalks. It's still very scary. I saw three teenage girls walking three very large dogs down the street. And I'm like, y'all are just, I mean, you're in a dangerous position here. Because it yeah. is an S, you know, this S curve is real sharp. And and there's no sidewalk. So it's like you have to either walk through people's actual property, which could mm-hmm. tick, tick people off, or you're in the street. And yeah, like, we don't have, you know, we have some sidewalks. The closer you get in, in the town that I live in now... Um, the closer you get to town, the more sidewalks you have, but 
you know, once you get outside of town, the sidewalks kind of go away after a while. So, um, outside of the village. So, um, and, you know, we have an all volunteer fire department and yeah, ours is too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's strange to me that because that's how I grew up, it's strange to me how many people don't realize that, that that's true in most of America. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's stuff people don't think about. And um, it's, and although when we, when I, we did grow up in a, in more of a city, even mm-hmm. though they had paid firemen, they also had volunteers yes. for some reason. Next. Yeah. I guess it was like, just in case. Well, you know, um, in a lot of towns around here, they pay the drivers so that yeah. there's always somebody to drive always- the engine, but then the, yeah. the non-drivers aren't paid. And sometimes some towns they're, they're paid per, per fire that they attend. You know, they they have all different ways of, of doing this. Ours are strictly volunteer though. Yeah. That was, that's one of the reasons that my father has, um, not for the pay. Cause like I said, it's all volunteer here, but, um, one of the reasons my dad has always kept his membership up with the fire department mm-hmm. is because he's driven trucks his whole life. So um, he at least can drive and yeah. then let the young kids actually do like the <laughs> hauling those heavy hoses right. and everything. Um, so it's a, uh, you know, he was the same way with, you know, when it came to, to plowing, he'll once in a while, he'll take a job with a, with a friend to go plow just to get back into a truck. There you go. But, yeah. So I, I do, I prefer small town life myself and I'm, you know, even 10 minutes away is what we call downtown where they, you know, they have sidewalks and gas mm-hmm. stations and stuff. So it's, it is interesting, but I loved this Prescott house that you created and i mean and it sounds like very large with the three different stories and, yeah and and everything plus the there's like the was it a carriage house or whatever you know yeah um the pool house area and the, the pool house yeah. yeah um so it was just like the setting was really sucked me in and i i just absolutely loved it and could easily relate to that um so while we're talking, though, we were talking about, you know, how to how to market and what publishers seem to want. Are, do you have any favorite books or blogs about, um, I mean, after this many books, it's not like you need a book on how to write or how to plot and make characters and stuff. But do you have oh, any? I do, have, I do have a favorite plotting book. Um, oh, do you? Okay. Okay. So that um, Kathy Yardley's Rock Your Plot and the and the and the workbook that goes along with it i i was always a um i was a pantser so after my second book i went okay i if i'm writing to deadline i I can't keep doing this anymore i can't sort of wander around in my first book i got two-thirds of the way through the book and then killed off the character that i thought was the villain um (laughs) Okay. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So um, I decided after, you know, when, once I started need, you know, started having to write to deadline that I really needed to plot more in advance. And, but I'm not, 
I'm not the kind of person who wants to do an outline, you know, full, any of that stuff. So um, a couple of people had recommended Kathy, Kathy Yardley's book to me, and it really helped. I, I thought it was great. Um, so I would really recommend that. And then um, for marketing, I would probably say Dana Kay's uh, Your Book, Your Brand. Okay, yeah, I follow her on Twitter as well. Yeah. Um, and I know she does a lot of workshops that she are does. like online things. So if anybody really wants to, to get like a robust, um, you know, input on that from somebody who's there and doing the work, the, the workshops would be great. Yeah, I haven't taken any of her workshops, but um, when when my when I was with Penguin and my um, it became evident during the merger that they weren't going to give me a publicist at all um, for my yeah. third book. Yikes! Um, and. Uh, so I, I actually hired her as a publicist and, um, so really I, I can't recommend her, you know, any of the stuff she does highly enough. She's, she's really, um, very, very good at figuring stuff out and explaining why you need to be clear about certain things. Now, obviously, <clears throat> my brand is a little unclear, but, um, so I don't, I, even though I admire her advice and I understand the value of it, uh, I'm not always so good at taking it, but, <laughs> and that's your right as the author, you know? Yeah. And it's in, but I think that if somebody is really wondering why they're, they're not selling or why they're, or what they can do to improve their sales or any of that stuff that, um, going through that book might clarify some things. Okay. And the other one is what's it called? It may just be called your a game. It's Damon Swade's book. Let me, let me do a quick look here. Yes. Your a game, um, by Damon Swade and Heidi Cullinan. um, which is specifically geared towards um, promo for genre fiction. That's cool. Um, yeah, I I was starting to get into that trap where I kept looking and and reading these, you know, the how to books, mm -hmm. the, you know, plotting and character stuff without say without sitting my ass down in a chair and writing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like at some point you just need to put the other the, the workbooks down and right. you need to do it. Exactly. Um, so then my my last thing for you is if you know how people can can find you. I don't know if you're doing the like noir at the bar stuff or um, um, I do sometimes do that. I in in New York, I sometimes read with Mystery Writers of America. I sometimes read with um, horror writers. Um, I if any of your listeners happen to be in the Richmond, Virginia area, I'm um, doing a brief history of the Gothic with a reading 
in a signing um, at the Poe Museum in Richmond. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. So, and then of course, I'm always around online. I'm I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, although that's mostly dog pictures, but if you like dog pictures, that's the place to find them. <laughs> exactly, that's where you go to unwind. That's right. Like, yeah, I keep my Instagram relatively calm and politics free because yeah. that's what I use Twitter for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So do you, so the Poe Museum, do you have, are there any other conventions that you have lined up or that you regularly do? Um, not that I have lined up yet. Um, I'm planning on going next year uh, to Malice Domestic. Um, oh, cool. And I don't know what else. I've never been to Malice before uh, because mostly I didn't feel as if what I wrote was necessarily the right, that was really the right spot for it. Um, And conferences are expensive. Yeah, they are. They are. So, um, but I want to give it a shot this year. Everybody tells me it's a great, it's a great conference and a lot of fun. So I'll see. Well, that's great. Um, so uh, how can, it looks like you're just using your name on, on yes. as your account. Social media. Yeah. Yep. So for people to find you, that's relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Um, website is the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of my stuff is on the website. If they want to, to go there they can find my my facebook and twitter and instagram and stuff like that awesome so you guys um look for a darker shade you can click the pre-order button now it comes out october 1st and it will just be a perfect you know autumn and winter read um and I say and winter because although it's set in Maine, there's there can be a lot of snow, as we were talking about, all these things that make you feel even more remote and out of touch with with uh, humanity. So um, and then you can go follow Laura um, on her social media. And she's very happy to answer questions. <laughs> oh, very happy. <laughs> um, which is which is great because it's like sometimes I just chime into people and I'm like, I'm really not stalking you. Um, so um great well laura thank you so much for all of the time and the advice and everything that you've shared today well thanks for having me and and it it was a lot of fun and pet the cats for me because cats need to be petted even though they don't necessarily always look as if they appreciate it i'm firmly convinced that they do yeah it's true it's true they they have love they just you know will be aloof sometimes yes yes that's so true well um you guys can always follow me on twitter my twitter name i mean all my names are different of course on everything because i couldn't ever get the same one so it's elizabeth amber on twitter everything else is amber so you can just figure out how to follow me and of course thank you to the patreon supporters that keep me going um don't forget to check out the weekly cat stories that come out and you can follow along with the things that we start discovering and our investigations um so that's all and thanks for listening 